You're listening to the Elect Club podcast, a podcast about dating and well-being from London. So today I am talking to Jamie Walrap. Jamie is a performance coach and an actor and director, but I really want to let him explain what he does and how he brings all of these amazing things together. So over to you, Jamie, to explain to us what it is that you do. Oh, wow. That's the million dollar question. Um, I'm trained as an actor and uh, a master's degree is in acting. And about six years ago, I got uh, very involved in men's work uh, with a man named John Wineland. And I became also an acting coach and performance coach while I was also creating my own, my own work. And over the last couple of years, I've really become um, much more interested in bridging those worlds together. So I work with, with artists and actors to bring more consciousness and heart to the work they're doing. And I work with uh, other spiritual coaches to how to uh, bring their voice and their expression out into the world. And we often bring those two things together in workshops. So creative coach, performance coach, and artist, and how those two overlay. And it's been just so exciting doing that. And you're actually based in Los Angeles. And I know that there is um, a much more open attitude to any form of therapy um, Mm. in LA because when I was talking to my um, friends that are based in Los Angeles and I said, well, in the UK, maybe if you were really struggling with something, you might have a couple of sessions with somebody. Mm. It's really not something that um, people feel is so important in their lives, although I think that's changing. Mm -hmm. So, um, for you guys, it really does become part of your everyday life, finding ways in which you can heal and grow and reaching out to people. Would you agree? I mean, it's interesting. Like, it's, it's funny. I, as I have a lot of uh, clients that I'm coaching, and it's funny. Most of my clients are in Australia. Right. It's so interesting that the because we're so global now, um, nothing seems too taboo. And I'll out myself here. I'm also in the 12 step program and um, being able to actually ask for help is so much a part of that program. And I spend a lot of time in the UK and I go to a lot of meetings there. So there are people there that are open to, you know, and the 12 steps and NAA has a spiritual aspect to it. So I think, I just don't think it's public. I think people are doing it. They just, I think in LA, we, um, we're much more public about our process than I think they are in the UK. Because I know a lot of people who do work in the UK, but they're very much more um, personal in their own process. Yeah. Um, and actually, early in lockdown, Russell Brand um, did release the 12 steps mm-hmm. as a guide for anybody struggling with anything. And I actually researched them. And they, it is such a useful program, isn't it? I, 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 it's almost Buddhist in a way. Uh, I, it's so practical. I, 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 would, I think if the whole world did the 12 steps, I think we'd be in a much better place. Yeah. It's so, I, I love it. I mean, I, it's the foundation of everything that I've built in my life, honestly. And it's free. Yeah. So tell us about the men's work that you do, because that's really interesting. Yeah, that's, oh God, I could talk about that. Of, I mean, how long is our program? So I hit a point around being an artist in 2014 where I had a a crisis 
And the crisis was, how do I um, have a structured place in the world and a feeling of masculinity when so much was out of my control? Uh, as an actor, I'd go on auditions and I'd really hope to get the part or, um, you know, I'd try to create something and then a bunch of egos would come over and, you know, I, I would, would be able to create my art, but it really cost something to me spiritually and emotionally. And I just felt like I was in a vicious circle and I felt emasculated in my life. I felt like I didn't, I wasn't able to make a steady income. I felt like, um, I didn't have steady relationships, especially with the opposite sex and dating. And because at a certain point they would look at me and go, so you have roommates, you're in your mid thirties and you don't really have a pot to piss in. And like, that's not sexy to me, at least the women that I was dating at the time. And I self-flagellated, like, why am I not successful? Why am I, but I'm also creative. So how can I be grounded and steady in my life while I'm being creative at the same time? And I did a spiritual retreat, just like most LA people do. And I had a vision. I had a vision of this mask, like this sort of a Maui warrior haka thing. And I didn't know what the haka was at the time. And I had this like vision of this kind of coming into this warrior feeling. And because and I was raised to believe that um, men that were warriors were, it was a toxic masculinity. A toxic toxic masculinity right. so that men that were strong were bad in some way or even that men were that were successful didn't have a heart and there's all these stories and archetypes of these scrooge type characters or um abusive characters so i felt i was raised to believe to be sensitive and to be emotional um and that was more evolved than this old archetype of the male but I read a book called Iron John by uh, a man named Robert Bly and this book changed my life. And basically I was the stereotype of this man that was raised to believe that his father was bad because uh, we were raised by our mothers. And so during the, the industrial revolution, men went away and, they were, and boys were raised by their mothers. Thousands of years, hundreds of years ago, met boys were raised by their fathers. They were raised by, um, they're a cobbler, they would learn the trade. If they were a farmer, if they were a blacksmith, they learned that from their father. So they had a healthy attachment to the masculine. And I think that so much what's happened and where we're lost is that men are raised um, to have a feminine view of their father. So this is what this book showed me. And I went, I was 35 when I read the book and I went, oh my God, I hate, I was raised to hate my father. And actually he wasn't that bad of a guy. And it completely revolutionized my brain. Then the more I studied Robert Bly and then an another man named David Data led me to a men's coach. And what was so beautiful was this, this integration of being an emotionally available man that could feel his fears and, and feel his emotions and be able to um, uh, still feel a warrior in him, to still need to be wild and go out into the woods and be in his, you know, in his body and be around other men. And it, it changed my life. I found a bliss, I found a joy. I felt like I'd come home. And what was interesting is that 
the women in my life, actually, I got the feedback. They're like, you actually feel more calm. I trust you more. You are, uh, I feel safer with you. I feel protected with you. Meanwhile, I can still share my feelings, but I don't project my feelings onto other people. Okay. And that was the healthiest thing that, that came from this. I went, and we, I've done one of these workshops actually in London, and I know um, some amazing men that do this work um, in, in England. So it, it absolutely changed my life where I, uh, this one thought was the things that happened to me in the trauma of my childhood was not my fault. But what men's group really taught me was it is my responsibility to deal with it. Right. So I was able to do two things at once, have compassion for my sensitivity, compassion for my emotions, while also going, well, we got to do something about it and stop blaming people. Stop going to toxic people um, for friendships, like having boundaries, living my purpose, having people that believed in me, but that would call me out. Like it was this really healthy balance. And that's what men's group has is actually made me the best artist I ever thought I could ever be. So does do that make sense? This, Sorry, I'm going off. I'm so passionate about this. Sorry. <laughs> do you think this, um, so do you think men have a real problem being allowed to be men? Do you feel yes. that that scenario, because, you know, as a woman, I admire strength in a man so much, mm -hmm. um, you know, and it may sound a little bit old fashioned, but you know, emotional strength, physical strength, knowing, you know, that if push came to shove, they could go out and hunt and gather. You know? mm -hmm. I mean, and it's really sad if actually men have started to feel that somehow that's wrong. Well, yes, I'm, I, I, this is a deep dive. One of my favorite quotes that one of my mentors said to me recently, she said, it's politically incorrect, but biologically sound what you just said it's like politically incorrect but it's biologically sound that that's how you feel yeah so to me is it's how can we take the ego out of it how can men want to be men and still have an integration and compassion and to me a man can do whatever masculine thing he would want to do, go off and kill and whatever. I have, you know, no judgment, but can he still be connected to his heart? Yeah. No, that's very and true. that to me is where the, where we get off where, well, I'm going to go off and do this thing, but I'm going to be disconnected because I don't want to feel. So men have a responsibility to do the masculine work while honoring the feminine within himself and within the women in the world. So when you're working with couples, because you also, um, am I right that you work with couples and um, in terms of relationships? Yeah. 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 So mm -hmm. are these the kind of things that you're talking about, perhaps trying to bend so much to be the way that we think society and our partner wants us to be, that we lose track of who we are biologically? <sighs> oh my God, I just got lit up by this. Um, I'm also a voice coach. Like that's been my big bread and butter for the last 20 years. And I'm sure you've heard this, um, how much of language and communication are actually the words? Very little. Less than 10%, right? Yeah. So if we're actually listening to our partner, we're only really taking in 10% of the words they're saying. 
and we're really listening to what they're really saying. Yeah. So for instance, if we have a partner and they're triggered or whatever, and they're saying something like, don't leave, don't leave me. or What they're really saying is, I, how I would hear that is, I need to know that you will leave me in the moment, but not leave me overall. Right. I need to know that you won't, I'm testing you. I need to know that you won't tolerate my bratty behavior, but you won't abandon me. So I'm not going to just bend to your will in the moment to somebody that's, you know, acting childish. And I will still feel them and know what they really want is to feel safe. I think that's what we all want, isn't it? Right. They want to feel safe. But part of them, if they know that I'll bend to like, okay, well, I won't leave you, I'll stay. And they're like, get out of here. Within five seconds, it's like, you're annoying me. Get, annoying, get away, right? Because like, but what you said, and you're like, no, 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 you can't, you can't, yes, listen to what they're saying, but really feel to what they mean. And that to me is the revolution.